Hi, this is Maximilian Osinski, and you're listening to Talking Lasso. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Honey, is that an ingredient or is that something you just call me right now? Ingredient. Shoot, I was kind of hoping it was the other one. How worried are you about the threat of relegation? Well, Lloyd, right now I'm mostly concerned with the definition of relegation. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> on three. One, two, three. Come on, Richmond! Yo. Yo. How's it going, Josh? How are you doing? I am doing all right, all things considered. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but I shared with you off off mic that uh, this has been a crazy week for me Damn. and a, a very long episode of Ted Lasso on top of it. <laughs> Damn you, Apple, for adding to Josh's, <laughs> Josh's heavy workload already. <laughs> I mean, this is that was a nice reprieve. I just remember at like the thirty minute mark, clicking to see what the how much time was left on the episode, and it's like, oh, there's still like thirty six minutes. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus! Yeah, guess what, dude? You're not even halfway. <laughs> <laughs> this is a feature length episode. Yeah, there's been a few of them actually. They didn't do that at all in the previous series, did they? I think the longest episode up until this season was probably like just shy of fifty five minutes. Well, depending on how you how you view these episodes. Jason Sudeikis is either treating us or or hindering us so that we have to record even later on the week <laughs> to get this out for Sunday. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it, it brought us together again. So, you know. Beautiful things. We were told Can't... we were told we have chemistry, Josh. <laughs> yeah, Tim Tim dropped a uh, a couple weeks ago on two blokes on Blighty. You you said you didn't remember, but I it 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 pulled a, a heartstring for me where Tim was just like, "Oh, the chemistry between you and Josh." And I'm just like, "I have chemistry with someone." Oh, it's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. Um Josh, before we get any further into this, uh, let me just say that this episode of Talking Lasso contains spoilers for Ted Lasso series 1, 2, and 3, but mostly for series 3, episode 10, International Break. Are you impressed? You don't say. Impressed with my professionalism that I actually wrote down the that name was, of the uh, the episode this week. <laughs> that was a really great transition into it too, because I was like, "Oh, what's Joey got to say this week?" Oh, he's doing the spoiler warning. Well, but, Very nice. Well, but we've learned something over the last ten weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, Josh. So this episode, I feel, was very different to the other ones. And just before we started recording we both noticed and reflected something over this episode of Ted Lasso. And the thing that we noticed about this episode of Ted Lasso is that there is a distinct lack of Ted Lasso in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ted clearly has no real big storyline to talk about during this week of uh, an international break. Mm. And uh, just, he's enjoying life, having fun on a 10 game winning streak. And uh, just, watching his players get selected for their national teams. I actually didn't notice that Ted was barely in this episode until we spoke about it about five minutes ago, um, having already watched this twice. So I think that probably speaks volumes that it was still done quite well, and it didn't matter that, that Ted wasn't um, a big, big story focus. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, three three seasons in, this has definitely become more of an ensemble. Yeah. Um, We'll we'll get into it a little bit more when we talk about the team, which is the second storyline we'll be talking about this week. But there's one thing in this episode that really I'm making a memo right now um, just to make sure I don't forget to mention it this week, uh, which did I did I text you last week? Yeah, I texted you last week about the thing that I forgot, which I don't remember if you edited that out or not. Um, but the thing that was like driving me nuts, what that I couldn't remember was that Jade works in the service industry and the reason going back to Aaron's Aaron and Dan's conversation uh, I feel like the reason she initially just brushed Nate off when he was trying to like flirt with her a little bit and do all sorts of the like Nate I, I think you're cute kind of things is that she works in a serving job she probably gets hit on all the time yeah, yeah. and so someone's trying to flirt with her she's just like okay great here we go <laughs> Um, yeah but apparently she has a lot of boyfriends that are very dependent on her because she acts the same way with nate away from the restaurant as well <laughs> <laughs> um i think okay so that actually leads us really nicely into the segue of the way that we're going to do this let's start with nate's story so the first note i have about nate's story is i kind of feel a little bit like we were robbed of quite some important scenes here 
and important scenes that we spoke about last week because we start off this episode and Nate has left West Ham um, and there's kind of like no one really knows why Nate's left West Ham and everyone's like speculating to the point where um, Rebecca actually asked Ted and um, Higgins for girl talk and gossip and why that might be and Trent Crim has some gossip but the 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 full picture of what we actually get from why Nate left is uh the I can't remember the way they worded it inappropriate behavior at West Ham or something along those lines yeah there's rumors of inappropriate behavior which we we get a little glimpse of uh previously but we also see that Rupert is maybe trying to do something different mm. um which th- there's something in this episode with the Rebecca storyline that we need to get into about, are they trying to soften up Rupert a little bit? Yeah. Um, which I also have a complaint about that, be, uh, which again, I'll, I'll make a note and get into it. But uh, with Nate, we find out that he has actually quit Yeah, and he, he wasn't actually fired, which I mean, that, that was a big surprise to me because we, one, we were speculating that this is going to be a slow decline into Nate getting fired or quitting. Mm. And the next week he's just he's done he's gone yeah um and, and but like we said they have softened softened and softened nate to the point where he is just gelatinous um and can't stand up by himself he is that soft um and i think i really liked that they opened with him kind of just being so although it was his choice to leave he's obviously very depressed about it. He has worked and worked to this point where he feels like he's the pinnacle of what he wants to do only to throw it away to the point where he's questioning, should I have done it? What would I have done differently? And then um, when Jade goes back to Poland to visit her family, um, Nate sees an opportunity to go and stay with his parents and regress into sort of like a recluse teenager kind of mode. He's gone very angsty Mm -hmm. teenager. Um, where he locks himself in his bedroom and food is delivered to his door and he doesn't interact with anyone. And um, yeah, so there's there's a couple of things in this this um, story, but the main point that I took away is the the scene, the scene. And when I say the scene, if you've seen the episode, you'll know which one I mean. The one with the violin, the one with his dad. Um, before we get to that um, that scene, is that is like really? Is there anything that we need to talk about? Because I don't think that there is. Other than what we learned about Nate quitting, hmm. I don't think there's anything of substance with his storyline until you, <clears throat> excuse me, until you get to the scene yeah. where he he and his dad have a heart to heart. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is the violin scene. Um, I put the violin scene isn't TV, it's cinema. It's so beautifully shot, handheld camera, I actually think they put it on a slightly different frame rate um, and the color grading is is wild on this. It's so shot dark and very pretty, like like an independent film rather than a sitcom that's been going for three seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was really beautiful. Also, did you know that it's Nick Mohammed actually playing the violin at that point? I didn't know for sure, but I felt like it was such an innocuous talent to have. That I'm like he has to be playing. Yeah, he is, and he's apparently really, really talented at it. I don't, I don't know what the levels are of being a good violinist versus being a terrible violinist. Well, I know what sounds terrible and what doesn't, but I mean, I'm sure I could be easily fooled into thinking that someone is an excellent violinist. But I was really impressed with it when I found out it was actually him. I, I had that feeling that they were taking the opportunity to show off his yeah. extracurricular skills. <laughs> And uh, I mean, a violin is such a hard thing to pretend to play. Mm. And they were showing his finger placements and you you could hear the I don't know. Is it considered strumming when you're playing the violin with the bow? Bowing? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not it wouldn't be strumming. Um, mm. But yeah, we'll just say he's he's playing and you can just kind of tell because, again, they're keeping the fingers in shot. Mm. and there's there's moments where it just it doesn't quite sound like it's 80 yard in yeah yeah it sounds like he it's really well matched up so you you just have to kind of be like yeah he's playing if you're looking at those sort of things but what that does is that scene uh he's playing 
It's all shot very beautifully. Like I said, different color grades spilling around him, loads of cutaways to the finger so we know exactly what's doing. And then you see Nate's dad is stood in the doorway and it cuts back to reality and Nate goes, oh, fucking hell, I didn't know you were there, um, which I thought was really funny. But um, we get the heart to heart that Josh mentioned. Um, and it was really, really nice and it was very well acted. There were tears in Nate's dad's eyes. I haven't got his name written down, the actor, but I think he acted it very well. My only complaint about this heart to heart is it was very fast. In an episode that was an hour and three minutes, I think it was, um, this whole outpouring of I just want my son to be happy, I recognize that you're a genius, all of these things that Nate didn't know that his dad felt about him all spilled out in about a minute. <laughs> and I felt like it could have been a much longer scene, but that's maybe I'm just a bit of a sucker for a much, much slower burn. Or they could have done uh, a, a pretty typical TV thing where you have that initial conversation where Nate's talking about how he thought his dad hated hearing him play the violin. Mm. And uh, I forget exactly what his dad's response was. Uh, his dad said he was shocked when he thought that Nate felt that. And then Nate said, well, you literally told me once that you hated hear me, hearing me play. And that was because his dad... Um, uh, he was trying to push him. Yeah, he was trying to push him, but he didn't realize he wanted him to understand the privileges he was given that his dad wasn't when he was growing up. So he wanted him mm. to be the best he could be That's at the right. violin. Yeah. And uh, I think from that moment on, once they have an understanding of where that was, they could cut away and then you could cut back and they could be in the middle of a conversation mm. talking about other things that Nate's Nate and his dad have been trying to like find a middle ground on and an understanding of, and then you could kind of continue on where he's like, I didn't know how to raise a genius. Yeah. Um, so you could kind of fill in the gaps on that, but you're right. The, the whole scene and the heart to heart was really quick. I, and it, I don't think it was too much of a hindrance to it though. I think we still got the idea. I still think it was very well acted. My only complaint. And, and it is like a minor, minor complaint. It's like, if I had to make a complaint, it would be that it was, it was a bit rushed that conversation. Yeah, and I, I totally understand feeling cheated because those dramatic moments are kind of what we live for. Those are the real world moments mm -hmm. where people can kind of uh, get a little wish fulfillment because like if if there's a closeted person who wants to talk to their family and they don't know how their family is going to react, these kind of moments can kind of give them a little mm. inspiration. Um, one of my favorite, we're going off Ted Lasso here for a second. I've said this before on the Talking Smack podcast, but one of my favorite issues of Spider-Man is from the Ultimate Spider-Man comic where it's the issue after Aunt May comes home from the hospital after finding out Peter is Spider-Man. Mm. And the entire issue, there's no Spider-Man in it. Uh, there might be some flashbacks or something, but there's no like action really in it. It's just Peter and May talking and May just trying to understand why, she, why Peter kept it from her. And it's just a, a long conversation and it's beautiful. It's a fantastic issue. Yeah. And when we got the when Aunt May finds out at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming in the MCU, and then the very next uh, entry into the Spider-Man story in the MCU is Spider-Man Far From Home. And he and May are just having this great Ponzi scheme where he's pretending to not know her and they're raising money for charity. I'm like, where's that conversation? I want that conversation. I want that moment where they understand each other. Yeah, but I think that the, the long slow burn and those long conversations make for such better character development, but not individual character development it's like i feel like jamie and roy's uh relationship is a great demonstration of that slow burn relationship and it's why tv series mm -hmm. for me like better call saul and breaking bad do so well because you spend fucking forever getting to know these characters and understand their motivations and understand their relationships to the point where you're really invested in them as people rather than just the character on the screen um and I just think that, that that maybe was missing just a little bit here. Yeah, and I mean, they, they do a good job of filling in those gaps because uh, Nate's dad brings up the privilege of growing up in England compared to well, I, he grew up in India yeah. or Pakistan or something. Yeah. Um, probably India. But, no, no, um, they said in the map episode it was India. India, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, they, they fill in enough gaps that I, I really appreciated what they did but i do think you're right that they could have even gone like 30 seconds mm. longer yeah and then the the finale of nate's story is like full circle he goes back to richmond 
under the cloak of the weird bloke behind the shed who lets him in, um, and he sets up the kit room. He becomes the kit man again under the cover of darkness and leaves a really sweet note for Will that just says, I'm sorry, from the Wonder Kid, um, which I just thought was was nice. And I think people are going to complain. I haven't really interact. I don't really interact with Twitter before these recordings because I don't want to be influenced in what I'm saying to mm-hmm. you. But I have a feeling that people are going to be like, well, why was he made to be the villain? Why was he made to be the villain to just not be in like the the course of a few episodes? So um, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen anything, Josh. But that's I haven't seen anything either. I've I've mostly been off of the internet. I think I saw a few things like immediately after because, uh, like. I just went to Twitter after the episode to kind of decompress. Mm. And then I'll like, of course there's spoilers everywhere because <laughs> it's the internet. Yeah. Fair enough. But, um, I, I understand anyone's complaint to say, why would they make him the villain for so long only to not make him the villain so quickly? But I don't know. I don't know whether it's because I like Nate as a character. I don't know whether it's this whole thing of, I really enjoy characters that have, have a darker side to them and are the villain. I've always, I've said before, I'm a big fan of the villain. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm, I've been rooting for Nate since day one. And I'm really glad to see that he is coming around back to the guy that he was at the start. Um, yeah. And it, he'll hopefully be a better person for it too. And a better character. So we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. Well, we'll see. Um, so the reason we started with Nate is because he was the, the, really the own sta- only standalone story um, in this episode. Where do you want to go next, Josh? Uh, let's go with the team and Sam. Okay. The team and Sam. So as by the title of the episode, we are in an international break. So Josh, in a football season, you have club football, you have international football. Whilst international football goes on, club season stops because all the best players are off representing their country, as we saw in this. And there are three real stories so we we have kind of mentions of other members of the team going to represent switzerland or wales blah 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 but the the three really important ones are canada versus mexico which is van damme versus rojas um their story is quite throwaway but still quite funny um we have jamie representing england it's only a very minor one but still worth talking about and then sam not representing nigeria so which which one of those three do you want to talk about i think they're all pretty quick but i think uh we do we should talk about all three of them uh let's let's get into uh this is one of the tweets i saw immediately after the episode uh let's get into rani dohas Dohas. (laughs) someone uh tweeted that out which i thought was a nice callback to um led tasso where Uh ted just flips his switch and he becomes the mean coach yeah so um when we find out that danny rojas and van damme are representing their countries danny flips a switch and uh, van damme is trying to um still be friends with him he sees him on the flight he's like hey bro do you want some chips and uh Danny Rojas has gone full villain, like full evil Zaha. Zaha. We are not. Yeah, he's like we are not teammates anymore. We, <laughs> we are. We are enemies. Um, and it's just um, things like when he sees him on the plane and Van Dam offers Rojas some some crisps. Danny takes the whole bag and just crunches them and turns them to dust, and then pours them in his hand. And then during the match, Danny breaks Van Dam's nose. Um, Going really late in on a on a chance on goal, um, and then they're back at the end in Richmond, Van Dam with a big huge bandage on his nose still, and Danny's patting him on the back and going, "Oh, that was crazy, wasn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was a throwaway story. I don't think we're going to get anything yeah. from it, but I did enjoy it. I did think it was quite fun. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, I agree. It's definitely not going to be anything that's going to come back and like bite Danny in the yeah, ass or something, cool. unless uh, unless they decide that um, Danny is going to become a little bit more of a a villain on the the pitch. Which I don't know. Like 
doesn't seem in character. It doesn't, and I don't think Van Damme is enough of a prominent character to, uh, sorry, enough of a central character to have a whole story around Van Damme versus mm. Rojas. I think it was just a one. with only two episodes left. Definitely not. Yeah, no, I think we can disregard that. Uh, should we move on to Jamie next? Yeah. So this is one of the things that I was talking about that uh, the show did a very TV thing. Uh, which is it calls out something that maybe people don't pay attention to only so they can pay it off at the end of the episode. Okay. So in this case, uh, after the teams are announced and Sam has not been uh, picked for the Nigerian team, Sam or uh, Jamie walks up to Sam and he's like, Hey, two, four, you doing all right. You everything. Okay. Yeah. They've never and called each I was other like, at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, never, ever have they ever referred to each other by their numbers. <laughs> Even when Jamie was being a prick in season one, yeah. he was telling Dan, he was telling Sam to like, he's still calling him Sam. Or he, he's never even referred to him like as Obasanya. Yeah. He's always been Sam. Yeah, I think I don't know that they needed to include that line. Hey, two, four. It's just it's very forced, but um, it's it's just so that anyone who's not paying attention to the jersey numbers and stuff but catches on to but they it at didn't, the end of the episode. They didn't even need that because the commentator... So so basically, Jamie makes his England debut at Wembley and he reveals... So underneath his warm-up jacket, he's got his jersey. And also, squad numbers are announced well before the game anyway, so they would have known. But the, the big reveal is that it says Jamie Tart, number 24, in like, and it's homage to Sam. And the, the commentator says, as if Hey 24 wasn't enough, commentator says... Look at Jamie Tart wearing number 24 in homage to his friend and teammate, Sam Obasanya, who did not get selected for Nigeria. <laughs> it's like, yeah, not a lot of heavy lifting there for the audience. And then they also cut to Sam, who's getting a bunch of like shoulder taps and pats on the <laughs> leg and stuff from the team, who is like, hey, look at what he's doing for you, man. It's a bit like they've gone, um, hey, Sam, you didn't actually get chosen for your international side but you are still involved in the international break because jamie's wearing number 24 <laughs> i think if i was sam i'd be like it's a very sweet idea but i am not playing in that game so therefore it does not affect <laughs> me that much <laughs> but it shows that his teammate cares and again it's more jamie growth um, i'm all for the jamie growth i love the jamie growth um, that's what she said <laughs> or, that's what i said what <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's one of the jokes from two weeks ago that I forgot to bring up because Ted made a really he's like, oh, that's what that lady from the, the American office said. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, we missed quite a few jokes, I think, in that episode. But but we're not there to talk about that episode. We're here to talk about this one. Um, so, yeah, Sam and Jamie. Um, Jamie played paid lovely homage to, to Sam, basically. And that was his whole story, although he does make an appearance in one that we're going to talk about later in what I think might be my favorite scene in all of Ted Lasso. Um, so let's talk about Sam a little bit. Josh, um, tell me about Sam's story. What what did you think? So Sam's kind of like picking himself back up after not making the Nigerian team, and he's going to his restaurant because what else is he going to do on international break week? So he's going to go manage his restaurant. And Edwin Akufo is there. Who I really <laughs> Oh, I I love the performance, but yeah, I hate it. The performance, like, I understand, but the performance I would describe it as an on-stage performance. Like, it didn't need to be that, that over the top. It, you've got a camera in your face. Um, I feel like it was more like a pantomime than a Ted Lasso performance. He's, he's going over the top Marvel villain in this one. Yeah. And I am here for it. Oh, okay. Um, so so Edwin reveals that he's going to open up his own Nigerian food restaurant in town, like two blocks over. Uh, he's looking for the best Nigerian chef. And uh, he also opens up that he paid $20 million to keep the, uh, Sam off the Nigerian team yeah. to the Nigerian government. And Sam's just kind of like taking it all in stride. He's just like, you're a spoiled little rich kid doing what you do with the money that you don't need. Yeah. So, okay. There was a really good line in his restaurant where um, Akufu introduced the Guardian, I think he said the Guardian's um, food blogger. Um, and <laughs> the guy introduces himself and he goes, hello, uh, it's nice to finally meet you. I have met, heard many terrible things about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, 
what is Ed, Edwin keeps calling like correcting himself? He's like, oh, pencil dick. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, Sam. I think he calls him something to that pinky effect. dick or something like that. Pinky yeah. dick. So yeah. But yeah, he keeps saying it. And then when the, the guardian guy introduces himself, he's like, oh, hi, uh, Pinky Dick. Nice to meet and you. And he says, what's and, the line? He says, oh, it's wonderful to finally put a name to such an ugly face. Yes. <laughs> it was yes. so unnecessary. I really enjoyed that line. But um, yeah, it was it was good over the top villain. A Khufu I did not enjoy um, <laughs> too much for me. I feel like I said I liked the villain. I did not like this villain. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I think he was. I feel like the, the the subtlety that comes with being a good villain was not. Oh here. yeah, there's <laughs> there's there's no subtlety to Edwin Okufu. Yeah. Um, but so, but yeah, that's whole Sam's whole story, really. That he's actually well deserving of a place in the international team, but Okufu is paying the Nigerian government not to. Not to call Sam up, and this is simply a callback to, I think it was in season two, where um, he was starting up a football team in Africa, and he wanted to buy Sam, and Sam refused, so he's got this chip on his shoulder about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, he said in that episode, too, that he'll never play for the Nigerian team. Ah, I missed that. Yeah, and um, I think that's why... Sam put the the Niger he ha I think he said the he had the picture of the Nigerian team on his wall in his uh, apartment, and I think that's why it's now moved into his locker because he's it's added motivation every every day he sees it. Oops, sorry, all right, we're just gonna roll with it again. Uh, apologies, um, my dog's barking. I'm just gonna have to manage. I'm gonna mute my mic when I'm not speaking, <laughs> and uh, we'll have to go from there. Um, but yeah, Sam puts the Nigerian picture in his locker and that's his motivation. He's going to keep going no matter what. Yeah. yeah. Quite a nice ending. Um, I, I don't think he'll get called up. I don't think it's that important <laughs> to the, to Ted Lasso, but now, now with two episodes left now, not with two episodes left. Okay, great. So the last story um, we have. The only other thing yeah. really quickly, maybe this ties more into Rebecca. And again, sorry about the barking. Um, <laughs> the, Sam runs into Rebecca in the hallway and they have like this really weird moment where uh, Rebecca is trying to be like consoling to him. Like, sorry, you didn't make the team. And he's like giving her that awkward like, hey, sis, yeah. shoulder bump. And well, they're trying not to. Rebecca, Rebecca pulls out the green matchbook again in this episode, which. I was hoping we'd never see again, but we did. Uh, but it was never really drawn that much attention to it. So, um. oh yeah the the Ted Rebecca stands are in full force. That's probably the only other thing I really remember from social media after, um, after watching the episode is that the the little army man being in her purse and those two the green matchbook and the army man being next to each other. Uh, a lot of Ted and Rebecca fans feel vindicated that that something like that is going to happen. I'm going to tell you now, Tebecca. Uh, to no, I don't like that. Uh, I'm, red, I'm not... red. We'll go for red. Um, red, red <laughs> fans. That is not happening. Sorry, it's I, not I, happening. With two episodes left, I don't think so. And I, I feel like they've laid out enough breadcrumbs that Ted and Michelle are probably going to reconcile in some way. Yeah. Although, once again, two episodes is not not very long to do that. Well, if they go 65 minutes again, who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, the last episode is going to be like a feature. Three hour, like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm here for it. Although that episode for us to record is going to be insane. Yeah. yeah, well, good luck to us. Um, okay, let's talk about Keely, Roy, Rebecca. The reason that these are three are together should be a very little surprise to a lot of people. Um, although at the start of the episode, they start off very, very separate, but they become intertwined quite quickly. Um, we'll start with Rebecca, uh, Keely, sorry, not Rebecca. Start with Keely. Um, Keely is still getting on with life after Jack has broken up with her. Did you notice as well, international break, I might have taken this too far and thought it was too clever. Jack is international. He, she is away. They are breaking up and this is where shit is hitting the fan. So international as break. As soon as up. you said it, I'm like, that's where he's going with it. I, I like it. <laughs> um, but Keeley's going into work and everything in KJPP uh, Industries, whatever it is. KJPR. KJPR. Thank you. Because it sounds like a radio. Um, that's how you remember. Um, 
is is Keely Jones public relations. You're a far more professional man than I am, Josh. <laughs> um, I think so. So I don't think I know that they're packing everything up into boxes. They're bubble wrapping everything to be taken away. It's being repoed essentially because Jack's company, family, board, whatever it is, are pulling funding, and Keely has lost everything, including Barbara, um, who there's a. Re- I don't know if it's worth talking about here. Um, there's a really, really funny joke with Barbara where Keely goes into the office when everything is packed up and Barbara is wearing a tracksuit that says juicy across the art. And um, and Keely, sorry, Keely says, I like your tracksuit. And Barbara says, I only wear clothes that tell the truth. <laughs> Which I, thought was I love that moment. It was a great <laughs> character moment. It tells us so much about Barbara. So much. In- <laughs> so much, but it's so... so- the opposite direction of what I would expect from Barbara. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. She you, she's going to be crazy if they ever get her out for a night on night on a pub crawl or something. Yeah, that'd be good fun. Um, but yeah. So so Keely's lost everything and has taken to going to the pub and drowning her sorrows. Where May, the bar um, owner, has given her some really good advice to. Oh, I can't remember what it is. Leap into the lightning or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, embrace everything that you have and and keep running with it, even when you hit the top. Um, was was the advice. While this is happening at the start of the episode, we have my favorite scene ever in Uncle's Day, where Phoebe, uh, Roy's sister, and Roy are sat around the dinner table, and we find out that Phoebe has organized Uncle's Day for Roy. Now, they could have done this scene in so many ways. But to make it at such at Roy's expense was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it, it continues to show what he does for Phoebe because of how much he loves her. Yeah. He's sitting there wearing the goofy little pointy party hat. <laughs> and he's just got a, a nice little wry smile on his face because he knows Phoebe loves it. Yeah. And it's it's just fantastic. It's a, It's another one of those moments that just show us exactly who roy is yeah. when he cares about someone but the the really funny part is when uh the doorbell goes and jamie shows up to uncle's day and he's like roy is like what the fuck are you doing here and jamie's uh, <laughs> was invited by phoebe because phoebe believes jamie and roy are best friends which they both protest and she says you're always talking about him and you spend every day together and then um i think roy asks who no is it Phoebe asks who Jamie's best friend actually is, and he turns and goes, "I don't know, maybe Isaac." <laughs> and Roy gets really offended. Roy turns and just goes, "Fuck off," <laughs> <laughs> which is great. But the the joy of this uh, scene, Roy is given two presents in it, and Josh, I want you to explain Jamie's present to Roy, um, and why, and and explain why I want you to lead this. So Joey wants me to leave this because I'm a sweet summer child. Um, so Jamie gifts Roy his original England kit. 2014 um, from, World Cup. Yeah, from his first time ever playing in the the, the World Cup and uh, international team. And he leans over to Roy and he's like, and I had them replace the E with a U. And I spent the rest of the night trying to be like what is england what england why what what is he replacing that makes this funny and phoebe then chimes in like there's there again great of amazing acting from the little girl that plays phoebe you see her processing her wheels turning and then she goes jamie you owe me a quid yeah and he's like, I didn't say nothing. And she's like, you made me think so, it. Yeah, the, and I'm like, the joke going through all of this scene is that um, because Phoebe used to swear all the time and now isn't, every time Roy or anyone around Roy swears around Phoebe, they owe her a pound. Um, but Josh, you understand the joke now, don't you? I had Twitter explain it to me. Yes. Okay, so. Um it, it, I, I, I blame the American culture because we don't say that word. I oh, see. It's, it's uh, fluent. It, it's actually one of my favorite words because of the reaction that it gets um, <laughs> from people. I won't, I won't say it here because 
um, you Americans don't. We have a largely like American it, audience. So, um, <laughs> I won't say it, but it's if for those of you who don't understand, it's replacing the E in Kent rather than England. Um, so, yeah, I really yeah, it's it. it's see you next Tuesday, yeah, see, but with a K, the old see you next Tuesday word. Um, <laughs> but that that was kind of the other thing I really liked about it being the 2014 World Cup is 2014 was quite famously a disastrous World Cup for England. They didn't win a single game and they bombed out of the group stages, which was like the end of well, it kicked off the current era of England football, which is quite successful in comparison. The 2014 World Cup was uh, famously an absolute shambles for England. And I don't know whether they chose that one because it was a shambles and no one likes to remember it. Uh, or that's why Roy didn't keep the shirt. But I thought that was maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but I did enjoy that. Yeah, could be. Um, we'll uh, we'll we'll head cannon it for you. Yeah, cool, nice. Um, and then the other present Roy gets is a bright orange tie dye shirt. It's red, orange, and yellow for Roy. Um, and it's tie dye and it's swirl and it is just fucking glorious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I again, um, uh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Roy Kent, Brendan, Brandon, Hunt. is it Brandon Hunt? Uh, the place Roy Kent. No, 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 no. It's, uh, yeah, it's um, uh, Brett Goldstein. Brett Goldstein. Thank Brendan you. Brendan Hunt is Coach Beard. That's right. Uh, it's been a long week for me, so <laughs> names are escaping me. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm coherent. Um. <laughs> So yeah, he, it, just the I love it. <laughs> he he just grits it out, yeah. and he's just like Phoebe. Have you ever seen me wear these colors? <laughs> um, then we get one more line in this, which I wrote down because it made me laugh. I had to pause the episode; it made me laugh so much. Phoebe and um and Roy's sister go off because they're going to set up for a performance, and Roy's sister says, "Just a warning: there is an intermission." Like get comfortable this is long um and then the, the line is it all goes quiet for a bit jamie goes your sister is fit and roy goes i'll cut your eyes out <laughs> uh, and then it cuts there really abruptly which i just thought was just fantastic um yeah i i stand roy's sister and jamie now um i want jamie to be roy's brother-in-law yeah, that would be amazing that would just be incredible um, but the rest of the episode, Roy wears the tie-dye shirt much to his disdain, to the point where he takes it off before he gets in his car at one point, throws it on the ground, remembers it was Phoebe that gave it to him, reverses, all in one single shot, picks the tie-dye shirt back up and drives off again. Um, but there's a scene in this, and I wanted to know if you understood the reference. When he's walking through the corridors at Richmond, with the tie-dye shirt on, and there's a really distinct song, Red Right Hand is playing. Did you understand this? I did not, so, but um, we, really quickly, I don't mean to throw you no, off, um, I, I was distracted in this storyline because there's an episode of Scrubs, we've drawn a lot of parallels to Scrubs in the last few weeks, where uh, the lawyer for Sacred Heart, Ted, is wearing a red tie, and there's like an episode where like, uh, the entire episode is about color coordination and what that kind of reacts to people like uh, uh, Dr. Kelso gives the janitor a light, like a Robin's egg blue jumpsuit. and No one is afraid of him anymore. Everyone's like, Hey buddy, how you doing? And Ted's wearing a red tie and that like evokes aggression out of people. So everyone's like punching him <laughs> and just getting angry with him for no real reason. And that kind of rang a, it rung a bell for me uh, with this because everyone's treating Roy differently. I didn't, didn't think of that that's a very astute observation josh well done and it helps that i watch scrubs like once every two years well, i mean the first uh seven series is that when the main cast leave is just uh eight eight first eight series are ultimately rewatchable um yes very good Season nine doesn't exist season nine is season one of a spinoff exactly. that abc just didn't want to call a spinoff um but so the red right hand joke is a reference to Peaky Blinders, um, which is a show here about a gang in Birmingham who are like mobsters and everyone's terrified of them. 
but so everyone turning their head and looking at Roy as he's walking silently through the the corridors at Richmond. Red right hand is the same is the theme music to um, Peaky Blinders, and the main character Tommy Shelby is walking through the streets of Birmingham, and everyone's turning their head, not laughing the same way that they do at Roy, but it's like we can see you. Everyone is turning, and you are the center of attention. So it's a nod to Peaky Blinders. So that's the second Peaky Blinders reference this season because there's also the poopy diapers. Yes, exactly. Um, They're definitely catering to a British audience. I recommend you watch Peaky Blinders. (laughs) It's a really, really good watch. I have heard about it. So it's definitely something that is in my purview, but I don't, uh, I have to find the time to watch it. Although Peaky Blinders, it's uh, it's all set around Birmingham City Football Club, which are our team's main rivals. So just keep that in mind. Don't get too fun. <laughs> Fuck them. Fuck them. Well done. Um, so, uh, oh, I'm well put off now. Just the burning hatred of Birmingham City has got me. <laughs> so, where was I? So, um, um, during, was it, when does Roy talk with, what softens Roy to the point where he decides he needs to write Keely the letter? So, Roy goes to pick up or drop off Phoebe at school. And the teacher that was flirting with Roy around the time right. of the breakup says, I've written it down, says, um, I, she doesn't mind picking up. Or, she doesn't or, mind picking up the mess. Um, and then she turns to Roy and says, I hope the mess didn't cause you too much damage. Um, and I think Roy just realizes at that point, that, like it's a mess. It's not broken. And he, he literally, yeah. Brett Goldsey literally stands there and goes, ah, <laughs> oh no he says fudge oh yes he, he says does. fudge because like, he's not going to swear on school grounds well, and again yeah um which i i like that because i saw her and i was like you're the reason they broke up yeah. <laughs> and, and now now so she's I, the reason that they're getting back together yep and uh i i mean i thought that line was that she dropped was pretty good i'm not gonna lie yeah. i i thought the the whole like i don't mind picking up a mess sort of thing like that that's that's solid if someone was actually broken or had a messy breakup like that probably would have worked but roy that that line made roy realize he was in a he was the mess not him and keely yeah. he and keely were not the mess yeah so so roy um writes keely a note that basically says everything that we were going through at the time it was never a reflection of you it was me in the wrong um, and that he still loves her and i love the fact that Keely's like, I can't read this. Um, Cause I remember seeing how he was writing yeah. and I'm like, that is grossly illegible for <laughs> a, a late 30 year old. I mean, I can't talk. I have terrible handwriting. Uh, oh, I do too. But still he, he wrote like that long message, which looks like it's only in like maybe a full <laughs> paragraph. Like, there, But I thought that was, that was also clever because what they could have done was they could have had Keely or like reading it and Roy's voiceover over the top. But she took a good like five, six seconds looking at that in pure silence, Roy looking awkwardly on before she said, I still can't read your writing. And he had to read <laughs> it to her. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really lovely acting by Brett Goldstein. The way that the, the direction on that scene where he's reading it word for word at the start and then eventually he realizes he doesn't need to read it word for word. He just needs to say how he feels. And he puts the letter mm-hmm. down and delivers the second half directly to her when he says, I still love you or I, I love yep. you. Um, I just thought it was really, really, really nice. Yeah. And th- that scene gets cut off in a way that is pretty obvious that Keely went to go talk to Roy. But then we don't we get the classic Ted Lasso thing of we're not going to show you what happens next. Mm. But thankfully, they show us what happens after what happens next. Yeah, uh, the this episode had a, a very big fi- season finale feel, which is why I'm not too uh, I'm I'm thinking that the next two episodes are going to be longer, like they might be hour long episodes or maybe even like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, it could be. So before we say, I mean, come on, you know what's happened next. But um, before uh, we, we explicitly say what's happened, next, should we talk about Rebecca's story? Yeah, because I think that's that'll be pretty quick. Yeah, so Rebecca's story starts with Rupert appearing in her office um, and inviting her to a Khufu's meeting about a Super League. And Josh, have you ever heard of a Super League before? 
I have not, um, but they do a good job of explaining it in the episode, which um, it sounds a lot like what they do or they try to do in the uh, collegiate level of American football, which is they have like super conferences mm -hmm. where just like the best of the best of the best yeah. create a conference and they basically hoard all the wealth. Well, this is exactly what was proposed in real life um, probably three years ago. Um probably around the time that this this series started filming because it was it was mid lockdown um and all of the big teams in the european leagues got together and said like we're going to make this and the fan backlash was so massive that all but two of uh, three of them pulled out in in a matter of days and it got to the point where people were outside the grounds during lockdown when there was really strict like distancing rules stood outside the grounds chanting and protesting where club ambassadors, ex-players, current players, managers had to go out and calm the crowds down. They were that against this Super League because promotion, relegation, and kind of having, being able to work your way to the top, I think is such an intrinsic thing in football, and which is why I loved Rebecca's speech at the table what are you doing? Stop it right now. And then explaining that football is for the fans. And it's the second time that they've done this. If you remember, Ted says something along the lines of, it's their club, we just borrow it for a while. And I think that uh, the writers of Ted Lasso have obviously sat down and looked at what was happening around them in, in football because football doesn't just happen on the pitch. It's everything around the pitch as well. I always say it's like the biggest, most live soap opera that you've ever seen uh, is is football across the world. Um, essentially, Rebecca gets invited via Rupert to this meeting to instigate a Super League. Um, there's a few good things in this, which I've sp spoken about already. I really, I actually quite like Rupert in this episode. I think the softening of him was really good. Um, yeah. Um, I... I found a lot of this episode interesting with Rupert, not just from them try trying to soften him, like maybe something Nate did triggered something mm. in him finally. Um, or maybe it was just more for Rebecca's story to, to kind of offer that these moments of softness to him uh, so that she can we can kind of be like, oh, this is what she saw in him. Um, but there's one thing that really bothered me about this episode, and that's the fact that Rupert is not technically the owner of West Ham. It's something that keeps like creeping into my head uh, through as I'm watching this. But as we do the podcast, I forget. Uh, but it, it I, this one really stuck in me because Bex is the owner of the team. Uh, Rupert in the the Milk Sisters episode mentions the fact that Bex bought the team and because uh. through the through their divorce, he's not allowed to own a team. Right. Got it, yeah. So he like he can he's head of football operations or something, or he's acting as owner in, in some way because Bex doesn't really want to do it. And I guess everyone's just kind of like turning a blind eye to the fact that Rupert's really running the team or owning the team while Bex is the owner on paper. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that at all. Um that hadn't even occurred to me. Bex kind of has disappeared into the ether <laughs> ever since the first yeah. few episodes. She and the baby, yeah. She and the baby. But um yeah, so um, uh, yeah, valid, valid thought. But uh, Anthony Head, who plays Rupert, really gives us like a, a spectrum of of villainousness in this episode, where he walks around Rebecca's office like he still owns the place. He shows his manipulation by um, doing exactly what Rebecca said he did in the episode. Do you remember where they were introducing Zava and made made? that person feel like they were the most important person in the room. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, so so we're skipping around quite a lot here. Um, Akufu gets a bunch of owners together uh, and proposes a Super League and Rebecca says, like, no, what are you doing? Being ridiculous. This fo football isn't ours. This is how you fall out of love with the game. This needs to be for the fans. Uh, and she asks them outright, like, how much more money do you yeah. need? Yeah, very true. And then Akufi says that was a lovely speech. Now who wants to make a lot of money? And then the next shot is him storming out of the room. Um, and we cut back to the owners all covered in food, where Akufi's bodyguard has obviously thrown loads of food all over them. But if you notice, R Rupert's eyes in that scene don't leave Rebecca's. 
they make her feel like she is the only person in that room that matters. And while all the other owners are really pissed off, he waits to see Re- Rebecca's reaction and he mirrors it. Um, yep. So he's he's living up to exactly what Rebecca said he would in that very the very early episode in the season with Zava there. Um, and I, I thought that was really clever and really well done and really well acted by Anthony Head um, throughout the whole thing. And then one other thing, um, which maybe you're reading into it in a way that I didn't, um, but I thought they were really trying to make Rupert seem more like maybe he's dying. I don't know. Um, but when they first arrive for the meeting, Rupert's new assistant arrives and she's very homely. She's not a supermodel. She's not uh, the same one that we saw him flirting with having an affair with earlier mm. in the season. Um, so I, again, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they're trying to show that there's uh either these allegations of um, misconduct going on inside West Ham have changed Rupert or Nate has changed Rupert in some way. Mm. Um, But something is going on with Rupert that has caused him to really change the way he at least presents himself publicly. And he's like, I think the, the assistant is a way of showing that he is taking steps to make sure he doesn't put himself in a bad situation again. Yeah. I think that that's true. I think, the way I looked at it was it was probably Bex's doing because she will have found out about the supermodel, the affair, the two supermodels at the honey and jam or whatever the bar was called. Um, <laughs> Bones and honey. Bones and honey, not honey and jam. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there was a real softening of Rupert. I never got the impression that he was dying. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, maybe there's something because without Bex there to give some kind of indication that she has found out and is basically giving him an ultimatum, I feel like these are personal choices yeah. of his. Yeah, true, true. Um, but there's a there's a key scene with Rupert, the final time we see him in the episode where he notices a piece of food in Rebecca's hair and he takes it out and then he tries to kiss her. Um, so he's not changed at all, really. Um, but he, yeah. he so Rebecca dismisses his advances um and i should have said sorry at the start of this all throughout this episode rebecca's been trying to get in touch with keely to talk about what's going on um but higgins gives some advice is it higgins or was it it was higgins yeah because she's afraid of being the only woman that they invited because they needed a woman to make the thing look legitimate yeah and he's like who cares you have a seat at the you're being offered a seat at the table take it and see what comes of but it but someone says to them they're all just little boys and i can't remember that wasn't Higgins. Oh, who said that um oh keely texted her uh, uh at like they're about to eat uh, and she's like hey sorry a whole bunch of stuff's happening uh this is clearly after the whole roy thing yeah. happened uh she's she's opening up to people again and she's like just remember they're all a bunch of little boys but the, so this was my main gripe with this see this section we didn't need we saw rebecca doing her ritual of making herself big and scary in the mirror but when she looked in it it was a little girl in the mirror looking back very 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 literal you didn't need that i don't think and then yeah. when she goes to tell off the the group of owners who are a bunch of old white rich men um she sees them all as infants around the table. And you didn't need that. You just said they are little boys, treat them like little boys. And then she goes, stop it. Stop it, all of you. Like she's telling them off. Yeah. You didn't need to see them as children. She had that gleam in her eye that Hannah Waddingham can pull off. Like you don't, she can just, you can just look at her face and let her do the face yeah. acting as we've talked about. It's our, it's part of our drinking game for this show. <laughs> um, she she can do the face acting. You can see the gleam in her eye where she's like, yeah, they're all just a bunch of little boys. And then she can do the stop it, stop it, all of you and talking to them like little boys and like, oh, we get it. She's talking to them like little boys. Yeah. Like the the moment in the mirror I really enjoyed because she's very clearly having a panic attack and she has learned to manage it, which is how she was able to help Ted back in season one and how she's able to recognize the signs of it. Mm. And I, I liked that part a lot because it showed that she is still dealing with it. It's not something that's cured. Therefore it's something she's always dealing with. And uh, I like that a lot, but having the literal scene of her sitting around a table with a bunch of boys in suits, that part. Yeah. I think that was a little too 
heavy handed and like, hey, look, symbolism. I don't think the, the mirror one was neat. Personally, I don't think the mirror one was neat. I think Hannah Waddingham is a good enough actor to pull off showing signs of panic before completing her ritual in a mirror before going into this room. She showed it already when she was looking at the outfit she was wearing. There was obviously a lack of confidence within it before she did the ritual and then an increase in confidence after she did the ritual. I just felt like seeing a little girl staring back at her in the mirror was leaning back to this supernatural psychic element that that mm-hmm. des- it, it, it belongs in like supernatural or American Horror Story or somewhere like that. I don't think it belongs in Ted Lasso. Yeah, I can see that. I can agree with that. Um, yeah, it was it was too literal, too literal there. If you wanted to still do something and have her show, if you wanted something visual to show her having uh, this panic attack, you can like when you have the moment where she's like clutching her chest and breathing, you could like flash back to moments with Rupert throughout the show yeah. and have her like have these do the breathing exercises and you can see her maybe like shake a hand or something and just kind of then she does her thing where she makes herself big we have seen so many panic attacks in ted lasso they know how to do it by now we we get it we we know when we see one essentially the next thing that happens is we see that rebecca or or rebecca goes to keely's house still covered in the food that was thrown over her and announces that she managed to get all of the owners to um step down from the super league which I mean, it was pretty obvious by the reaction of a Khufu, but it was never explicitly said. Um, and uh, then she announces to Keely, oh, sorry, Keely announces that Jack has pulled the funding. There was a really funny moment where um, they said, well, how much, Rebecca said, how much were they funding you? I hate this trope so much. <laughs> I hate it. I um, and, and Keely pulls out a post-it note, starts to write the number and, and Re- Rebecca goes, what are you doing? And she goes, well, this is what they do in the movies. <laughs> and they hang a lantern on it every time in the movies too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Rebecca looks shocked at the amount and she's like, I know it's a, uh, sorry. Keely's like, I know it's a lot. It's so much money. And Rebecca goes, I think I've probably got that much on me right now. Um, and so Rebecca's going to fund KJPR. Um Yes. And that's really lovely. And then she breaks. Oh, and actually, Rupert tried to kiss me. And Keely's like, what? And she does this whole speech about you'd have to be scraping the bottom of an... Sorry. You'd have to be scraping the bottom of an an emotional barrel to go back to someone that you've been with before, blah, blah, blah. And just as she's saying (laughs) this, Roy is wandering slowly down the stairs in Keely's dressing gown. Um and Keely's still going, and the way that Rebecca and Roy don't say a word to each other, they just salute each other on the way out, um, I thought was really, really nice. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca just gives him that look of, like, you finally got out of your own way, yeah. which is what she said to him last week. And uh, to kind of wrap up the episode, we see the team coming back from international break, and Roy is now wearing a, a like, black and dark gray tie-dye shirt yeah. uh like he it's showing that he's opening up to new things and he but he's still roy underneath <laughs> it's good but then we also had um ted and rebecca and the announcement that rebecca doesn't care about being rupert anymore she still wants to win for the team but it's not about rupert anymore and then she spits tea over ted and that's the end of the episode yep i still i like ted's uh comments about how after rebecca says it feels like it's just ceremonial at this point and ted's like as long as that that tree piss doesn't get in my mouth i'm okay with it <laughs> he said he quite likes it which i thought was quite good um but yeah that's the end of the episode uh what did you think josh i i enjoyed it for the most part it, it did feel long in points um but i think overall this is probably one of the better episodes where everything feels like it serves a point, even Danny and Van Damme. Like I know it's, it, it's a, it's an E plot yeah. in this episode, but it, it feels like an E plot and it doesn't take up too much time and it doesn't stay too long. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like that was a really good episode. I would give this one probably an 8.5 yeah. on our, on our scale. I would, I would agree. Um, I think that everything, as you said, kind of felt like it, it carried weight within this. I think personally, having rooted for Nate since day one, as I said before, I love Nate's story. I love the reconciliation with the dad, even if it was a bit quick. 
I love, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker for a very well shot scene here and there. And, and the violin scene really will stick with me after Ted Lasso. And then I think I probably would have, have scored this a little bit lower, but I also really resonated with Rebecca's speech about football being for the fans. I think, mm. once again, I've said it before on this series, I feel like the writers and the actors really get and understand the culture of football, um, which, yeah, is really important for something like this to make it feel genuine. Yeah, and the the moment where will reads nate's note uh i love the look of horror on will's face when he sees that the kits have all been laid out and he's just like this happened to nate what's gonna happen to me <laughs> and then he sees the note and he's like oh nate did this how yeah. nice and he's he's just ready to to roll with it because will is a good boy as well do you think we'll see nate more of nate in the, the latter part of this or do we think that nate is kind of tied up so i'm curious uh not to go too much longer we have we're getting close to that hour i don't know how much you're going to edit out of my dog barking um <laughs> no <laughs> i'm i'm curious if the end game for this if this is the final season isn't ted that i don't again i don't don't know how you win the whole thing in this scenario because Ted's obviously thinking of like playoffs or some kind of tournament where they're like, Oh yeah, Richmond is the best of the best. Okay. Um, so I don't fully understand how they, they get to the point of like win the whole fucking thing. Like Ted said at the end of season one. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering if they don't fulfill that prophecy and then Ted goes back to Kansas to be with his family. Beard probably stays because this is a sitcom. So people have to kind of go their own yeah. ways. Uh, that's how you you get the like definitive ending. So like I think Ted goes back to Kansas, Beard stays in London, um, or England. I, I think Roy either gets promoted to head coach and hires Nate to be on his coaching staff, or maybe they hire Nate as head coach mm. and Roy sticks on as uh, a member of the staff as well. But I think the the arc will end with Nate being a prominent coach on Richmond again. I could see it. I could see it. Okay, Josh, I'm not doing a quiz for you because. It's late, uh, and I want to go to bed tonight. Um, but I do have a mad football story for you. Um, and this one happened exactly one week ago. So a very recent mad football story. Um, how timely. How timely. So there's a footballer called Gail Clichy. Now, Gail Clichy uh, is now 37 years old, but in his very first season in professional football, he uh, was part of the Arsenal Invincible squad. And the reason that they're called the Invincibles is they won the Premier League without losing a single game over the course of the season, which has never been done since. And I don't think was done before. It's a very, very impressive feat. He was also at the time the youngest member, uh, sorry, the youngest player to ever win a Premier League winner's medal. And you can only get the medal by participating in so many games across the season. So it wasn't like he was a bit part player. He was a core member of that squad. Now. He now plays in the top flight of the Swiss League for a team called Servette. Um, and last week, on the 13th of May to date this episode, um, Servette were playing Sion in the league. They're both near the top of the league, so it's an important game. Servette actually won 5-0. But the mad story in this is, Gail Clichy is a defender, so he is one of the furthest players back most of the time. Um. But he managed to score from the center circle um, in this game. So he lobbed the keeper. So he basically chip shot over the keeper to score in the first half to make it 3-0. That's pretty crazy. It happens every now and then. It wouldn't make it in this story, if not how he knew to do it. The, it was revealed that a fan of the team he plays for sent him a DM on Instagram and said, the Scion goalkeeper, Alexandra Safranakis, likes to stand very far out of his goal. When you get the ball, you should try a shot from your own half. <laughs> and Gail Clichy did it, and he scored. <laughs> Which I thought was um, pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I'll send you I'll send you a link to it afterwards if uh, if you're interested. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see that. Cool. Nice. Well, that is, that is us. Um, Josh, do you want to do your, your normal hosty socials bit um sure you can find me on twitter at josh underscore scar 
you can follow the podcast at talking smack pod you can uh, email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com you can join our discord which will be in the episode description and if you have any predictions towards uh, the last two episodes of Ted Lasso, shoot them our way at tsmackpod at gmail.com and make sure you put either Talking Lasso or Ted Lasso in the subject line. And as always, I want them in all caps or I will ignore it. <laughs> nice. I like the authoritarian nature of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me all the time in the Talking Smack Discord. It is the most active Discord uh, that I'm a member of and the only place I am active online, really. Besides the Game Club Pod Twitter account, where you can find either me, Slade, or Tim, because we all have access to it. We thought that was a good idea. Um, tweeting some random stuff. If it's anime-related, it's not me. That is Slade. If it's shitpost-related, it is Tim. <laughs> Anything else. Or if it sounds like it's written by AI, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then the immortal words of Ted Lasso quoting Walt Whitman. Be curious, not judgmental. Beautiful. Now, scram. Whistle. Whistle. Scram! Whistle! Whistle! Whistle!